All right, let's get our Bible turned to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 2. Do a bit of review from our last uh, Wednesday night study, starting on the offerings. Uh, let's do a bit of review, some responsive Q&A. Uh, how many of you remember, somebody yell out, or just, you know, just say it, you don't have to yell, but say it. Uh, how many offerings are there listed in the, are you raising your hand or are you telling me? Correct. Five. She's right. Five. There are five offerings. All right. So na- let's name, name just somebody name one. Sin offering. Burnt offering. Free will offering. We didn't talk about free will offering. <laughs> Peace offering. What else? Sin offering. Somebody said that one. Trespass offering. Meat offering. That's all of them, I think. Yep, that's all of them. All right, which offering, okay, all but one of the offerings of the five, all but one of them have, require rather, what? One major thing. Blood. Well, they all, listen, they all require fire. The altar was a big, basically a fire pit, all right? Okay. Um, Let's see here. Which of the offerings, uh, the, rather, let me ask this. The trespass offering, which is the last of the, of, the, of the five, trespass offering was actually a special kind of what offering? Come on now. Be bold, Ben. Sin. Correct. Yes. Actually, a special kind of sin offering. All right. So let's go to Leviticus chapter 2. Everybody seems to... Uh, Seems to be on the same page with this. Tonight, we're going to talk from chapter 2 about the meat offering. Now, let me say this. When you read your Bible, this is a a common mistake, and it can confuse you if you're not careful. When you see the word meat, it does not mean flesh. It means food, all right? A meat offering, there is no flesh involved. That's the other four offerings. So the meat offering is actually an offering of something you would normally eat. And it's actually made of flour or, uh, or grain of some kind. So uh, we'll look at that. We, will not, we'll, we won't read the Scripture because we're going to kind of be bouncing around. But we're going to study the meat offering. Let's pray and then we'll get into our study tonight. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the opportunity again to look in your Word. Please, Lord, as we look in this passage of Scripture and these things... Uh, with your law, your holy law, that you would help us to understand how it relates to us as a New Testament Christian and you would bless your people by your word. I pray, Lord, please cause your word to have effectual power in the lives of each and every one of us here. So, Lord, we commit this time to you. Lord, we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the meat offering. In every case of the meat offering, and there are different ways that it could be offered. For instance, in verse number 1, we'll read that as as a representative. It says, And when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. So what we're talking about is grain. And and then if you go down to verse, for instance, verse 4, verse 5, 
verse 7, there are various ways, even down in verse number uh, 12, uh, or rather verse number 13, there are various ways that this grain could be prepared. Um, again, I'm not, I'm not going to be boring you, so we're going to move quickly, okay? The meat offering, though, represents, it represents the work of our hands. I'm just positing that as kind of where we're going. The meat offering represents the work of our hands offered to God. Now, we looked at the burnt offering already, and we saw how the burnt offering, it could be offered willingly, but, but, but the burnt offering was, was prescribed by the Lord to be offered at certain times. Every day, twice a day, then every week, at the new moon, every month, and at certain other holidays, there would be the burnt offering was prescribed. And we saw how that, that in that way, the burnt offering was an offering of God because God prescribed that it be offering. We also saw how the burnt offering, in the burnt offering, the whole offering was consumed. No part was used for anything else. That is not true when we're talking about the meat offering. So there are key distinctions here. And in the representation, remember, all of the offerings, at least the offerings of the animals, represent in the Scripture. We've already seen that a couple of weeks ago. All of those are representative and are shadows of the true, which is Christ's sacrifice. But the meat offering is not. The meat offering is not representative of Christ's sacrifice. It can't be. There's no blood. It does not represent Christ. The meat offering is an offering that represents our work and our labor offered to God. Now, I know that might sound, to, to some of you, that might sound a little bit unusual, but remember, in the Bible, of course, we always look at Cain and Abel, which we'll look in a minute, but we say we, we see that we often have heard that Cain's offering was rejected and Abel's offering was accepted because Abel's offering was a blood sacrifice and Cain's offering was the fruit of the ground, okay? And so we say, and it's often said that Cain's offering was rejected because it was the wrong kind of offering. But in this, in chapter 2, the same, the same category of offering as Cain is being offered here and God tells the people this is one way you can offer this to God. So it's not that Cain's offering was, was necessarily bad. Cain had one big problem, which was Cain. <laughs> That's actually, Cain's first problem was Cain. But beyond that, it was manifested in giving the wrong offering and then, to boot, refusing to accept correction and to offer the correct offering when God called him on it. So we'll look at that in just a minute. But Let's look at a few verses, and then uh, we'll come back. Don't, don't lose your place in Leviticus, but let's look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and 2 Thessalonians. So if you would look at those two places there in the New Testament, Ephesians 4 and 2 Thessalonians. Ephesians 4, verse number 28 says this, Let him that stole steal no more but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to him to give to him that needeth. Notice labor in reference to someone's hands, all right? Notice 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if you would. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says this in verse number 8. Paul says uh, of his time there in Thessalonica, he said, Neither did we eat any man's bread. Note that, bread. What is bread made from? It's made from grain, right? Different kinds of grain, all right? We got that. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. So Paul did not eat their bread for nothing. Rather, he ate their bread by his what? His labor, his work of his hands. And he commends that, okay? Now remember, bread is made from grain. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not, I'm, I'm not chasing my tail, I promise, okay? Now, as we go back to Genesis, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3, and then we'll return to Leviticus. After Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed Adam. Rather, he cursed the ground. Of course, Adam was cursed, but the ground was cursed. And in verse number, verse number 17, God says this to Adam, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field." In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Notice that, bread. Now, hey, listen, bread doesn't grow from the ground, does it? But grain does grow from the ground. Let me ask you a question. Does grain grow from the ground sufficient for man to use without labor? No, no. It requires labor. Now, there are some, I know, some one of you nitpicky people are going to be like, well, I have a blackberry bush in my backyard, and it's wild. But generally speaking, okay, it requires cultivation and work to do that. So it requires labor to cultivate the ground, which is what we're reading here. And the benefit of that is the grain grows, we harvest the grain, the grain is ground and turned into flour, which is then cooked as bread. Okay. So what I'm trying to do is make the connection, the scriptural connection between bread and your labor of your hands, right? The flour, which is what bread is made from, and the labor of your hands. You see, this is the scriptural connection. So when you get to the meat offering, there's no way to get grain out of the ground unless you work. And this is exactly what is the substance of the offering. It's grain. So it represents man's labor. Man's labor. And that is, and that is in the, in the symbolism, in the typology, the meat offering is a rep, it represents the offering of one's labor. Or we might say works to God. Now, if you, go, if, you, if you stay, since you're in Genesis, stay there. Go to chapter 4. Let's look at Cain and Abel real quick because I want to point out a few things about them before we make a few other points. Chapter 4 and verse number 3, or verse number 2 rather, says this, And 
she again bare his brother Abel, and, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, so one dealt with sheep, one dealt with grain or fruit of the ground. The Bible doesn't specify because it's, it speaks of everything that is cultivated, okay? So when you think about sheep, now we know a shepherd does work, but really keeping and tilling are different. Keeping is, is kind of a passive thing. You know, in other words, you leave them alone and you just protect them, the sheep, and they're going to do their own thing and they're going to eat and they're going to grow. In other words, you're not really working, you're keeping. Cain's, Cain's job, however, was, was far different. Cain sweat a lot. Cain worked to get, what he, uh, to get his offering. And it says, verse 3, And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. He had to work for that. He had to labor and use his hands. Verse 4, And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Notice that. Cain offered what we would call a meat offering. Right? It was food. Not a blood offering. And we know Cain's offering was rejected. It was the fruit of the ground. Yet it was rejected by God. Now his offering, of course, we know, had no blood. And because it had no blood, Cain's offering did not recognize the seriousness of sin and wickedness and its just punishment. In other words, now I'll be honest with you, I don't know if Cain and Abel understood all of that. <laughs> I mean, we're talking way early on, before all the scriptures are written that explains all, the, all of these things. But they did have a pattern. The pattern they had was the covering that God gave to Adam and Eve. One was made of plants, the fig, the fig leaves that Adam and Eve made to cover themselves. And the other was an animal's blood was shed because its skin, you can't, you can't, there's no way to take the skin off an animal unless it, you, you, you kill it, <laughs> right? So God shed the first blood to clothe Adam and Eve. So maybe they had that example. The scriptures do not directly state it, but, uh, but as such, Cain's offering did not, recognize that the, the, the life for life, the seriousness of sin, that the wages of sin is death, it did not recognize that. It was the work of his hands. Now, Abel's offering, however, was that way. It was a blood offering, and it was received. Now, as I said earlier, it's a mistake to assume that Cain's offering was refused simply because it was not a blood offering. Because as we see in Leviticus chapter 2, there is an offering God prescribes that does not involve blood. So it's, that's not the whole reason. That's not the whole reason. Blood offerings, now hear me, I'm sorry, non-blood offerings in the Old Testament were permitted in their proper place. And that's usually the problem. The place, the place. The place is usually the point at which people go off the rails. I'll, I'll explain what I mean in just a minute. You see, Cain probably assumed that his offering was more valuable because he had invested more work into it, right? Compared to Abel just sitting around watching sheep. He's like, I've worked and broken my back and sweated and you've just been following sheep around. They probably had this conversation, right? And so Cain 
Cain thought that likely thought that his offering, because of how it was procured, was more valuable than, than Abel's. But the issue was not value based upon one's labor. The issue was the blood shed. The animal dies. The animal is a substitute. So the issue is not the amount of labor involved. The issue is, I am guilty of sin. Sin has a penalty, which is death. Another must take my place. That's the whole point. The labor involved for Cain's offering was not the determining factor to the Lord, and he is the one that sets the rules. But the blood is a substitute, life for life. And so only Abel's offering of the two pictured the Lord Jesus Christ as a substitute for us. So you see... Cain, the problem with Cain was not that God rejects offerings that don't have blood. It's just that Cain did not have the required blood sacrifice. Now go back to Leviticus 2. Notice, notice the meat offering, which is a bloodless sacrifice, representing the work of our hands, the labor of our hands, is explained after the burnt offering. It's in its proper place. The burnt offering is first in chapter 1, and then in chapter 2, the meat offering. You see, Cain got it backward. Abel got it right. See, the labor of our hands, it is, it's, not that, it's, not that, uh, it's not that we are, we are people that are against good works and against labor. We're not, we believe in, in salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for us. That's what the Bible teaches, right? But just because we believe that does not mean that we don't believe that labor and working for God and living for God and doing good works is, is null and void and invalid. No, it is valid in its proper place. But the moment, the very moment that the good works and the labor are put in the wrong order, at that moment they become an enemy to the gospel. And see, that's the problem with religion. Just like Cain, people view their good works and their labor for God as more valuable than what Christ did. And they think that that is a good sacrifice. And we say, no, you don't understand God's economy. You don't understand the seriousness of sin. Your sin is a deadly disease. You must have a substitute, the burnt offering is first. The burnt offering is first. Only once a person has received the sacrifice of Christ can his labor matter at all to God. You say, well, God doesn't approve. God doesn't accept the work that I do for Him, the good deeds and the good works that I do if, I haven't, if I'm not born again. Exactly. He says, our good works are as filthy rags. He does not accept them. You know, that's offensive to the Cains of this world. Just like it was offensive to Cain. You see, Cain, God would have accepted Cain's offering if he had just done it the right way, like God gave him a chance to do. Notice in chapter 2 of Leviticus, 
as we move on, and we'll start moving a little bit faster now. There's a mention of oil. There's a mention of oil in chapter 2. In verse 1, he mentions, and he shall pour oil upon it. In verse 4, it says, mingled, fine flour mingled with oil. These unleavened cakes were to be made with oil. Verse 5, there were fine flour unleavened mingled with oil. Verse 7 says it. Verse 15, thou shalt put oil upon it and lay frankincense thereon. Now, I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. You can note these verses if you, if you choose to. 1 Samuel 16, verse 3, I'm going to read it. It says this, as soon as I get to it. 1 Samuel 16, verse 3 says, And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. Notice the word, Anoint, anoint. And then he, he goes on down here, and Samuel anoints, verse 13, and Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. Notice the next phrase, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. Notice that anointing. What does anoint mean? It means this. Pour. That's all it means. That, that, was, a lot, that was a lot more difficult to, to define than because it's a religious word, right? It's a religious word. It just means to pour. He would take that oil, not like, you know, not like we do, you know, they talk about, you know, they put a little oil, a little dab of oil. No, 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 no. Get like a jar of oil and pour it on top of somebody's head. That is just nasty. But that's what they did. Because in the Psalms, it talks about how the oil would ran down Aaron's beard. <laughs> That's what it means to anoint with oil. But notice in Isaiah chapter 61, so it says here that when David was anointed with oil, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then you look at Isaiah chapter 61, and it says this. Speaking of Christ now, well, I passed the, the verse. Isaiah 61, verse number 1. The Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Notice, the Spirit of God is on him because the Spirit of God has anointed him. So you can see the parallel. The parallel is the Spirit of God, the, the, the anointing, the pouring of the Spirit of God is using the same language as they, would, as they use with oil. The Spirit of God is a... Is a uh, is the oil, rather, is symbolic of the Spirit of God in the Bible. So, going back to our offering in Leviticus chapter 2, think about this. Every one of these offerings, these meat offerings, various methods to put them together, every one of them had to require oil. Remember, the offerings represent our labor, our works for God, the labor of our hands. That's how you get grain, right? It represents the labor of our hands, but it cannot be done without the Spirit of God. Now, Brother Ben, if you were to do labor without the Spirit of God, by what power are you doing it? The flesh. If not by the Spirit, it's certainly by the flesh. That is not acceptable to God. Make, giving a meat offering without the oil was not acceptable to God. So, 
working for God, laboring for God without the Spirit of God is not acceptable to God. But with the Spirit of God, it is a perfectly sound and acceptable offering to the Lord. Oil was required. Another thing was required, frankincense. Frankincense. I'm going to read you these verses, which thankfully I wrote down. Frankincense is also a part of the, of the offering, and frankincense symbolizes prayer. Now, in, the, in, the, uh, in, in Exodus chapter number 30, the Lord gives the, the, uh, the uh, formula to create the, franken, the incense that was used in the tabernacle on the altar of incense. It was a special formulation that they used to, offer, to burn at the, on the altar of incense. The key ingredient was frankincense. And so it symbolizes prayer. Listen to these verses. Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. You see that? Prayer and incense connected. Luke 1.10, and the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. So when the incense was offered daily, that was the time when the people prayed. So you can see a clear connection between frankincense and prayer. All right, so going back to the labor of our hands, the labor of our hands. Look at verse 2, if you would, of chapter 2 of Leviticus. Leviticus 2.2. 2. And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and, and he shall take thereout there out his handful of the flour thereof and of the oil thereof with all the frankincense thereof. You look at verse number 16, it says the same thing. And the priest shall burn the memorial of it, part of the beaten corn thereof and part of the oil thereof with all the frankincense. You see that word? All. Verse 2, verse 16, both say all. The frankincense. So, okay, so I'm going to help you understand, okay? You bring this offering. There's flour, right? There's oil. And there's frankincense. And there's also salt. We talked about that last week, right? So the priest would take the flour. He would pour oil and take a handful and burn it. But he burnt all of the frankincense, not just a handful. Frankincense is symbolic of prayer. And you'll see more about, you'll you'll understand more in just a second, but all of the incense is offered to God because God is the only one who is to receive prayer. Anyone, listen to me now, any, any person of any religion that advocates or teaches that we should direct our prayer to anyone but the Almighty is a deceiver. Is a deceiver. That also tells us that if we are directing our prayer to the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the Almighty. He is the Almighty. And that's why we pray to Him. And some people say, well, we're not, we're not praying to, we're, we're not worshiping Mary. No, you are. Prayer is worship. But notice, all of the incense goes to the Lord, is burnt, burnt to the Lord as a sacrifice because only prayer, prayer can't go to anybody else. Now, and this goes into our next point, which is called the memorial handful. It's in verse 2. We read it just a minute ago. And he shall bring to Aaron's sons the priest, and he shall take thereout his 
handful of the flour thereof and of the oil thereof. Look at verse uh, number nine. And the priest shall take from the meat offering a memorial thereof. He shall burn it upon the altar. Verse 16. And the priest shall burn the memorial of it, part of the beaten corn thereof, and part of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense. Okay, so let me ask you a question. If you brought a, if you brought a, a bowl, like a large bowl, a big mixing bowl of fine flour, and you brought the oil with it, and you brought the frankincense, and so all the frankincense is offered, the priest takes the oil and pours it in, he takes a handful, and he burns one handful. How much is left? A a bowlful, like almost the same amount. A handful is almost none. You get a bag of flour, you take a handful out, that's like what, like a third of a cup? A quarter cup maybe? Now, what was the other used for? The remainder was used for the priests. It was theirs. So here's how it worked. This is called the memorial handful. The offering is offered to the Lord first in the form of a memorial handful. The rest was dedicated to the priest. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. And the remnant of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. So you could bring a you could bring a bushel or however much you want of, of flour or baked cakes or fried cakes or whatever. There's different ways to do it. You could bring as much as you wanted. They're going to take one handful, burn it, and all the rest is going to be the priests. And you know what I saw in that? What a beautiful picture. First of all, because the burnt sacrifice has already been done, God accepts the meat offering, which is a labor of our hand, our good works, right? That's our good works being offered to God. And so it's offered to God, and, and by that handful, it's, it's ultimately and most importantly given to the Lord. But you know what the effect of it is? It benefits other brothers and sisters in Christ. Our good works, our labor, our service, that which we sweat to do for God, as an offering to God, it spreads the benefit to your brothers and sisters in this room. Unlike the burnt offering, wholly burnt, nothing was left. But with this offering, there is something left. And it, benefit, it benefited the priests. Think about your service and your worship to God. Think about the way that you work for the Lord. While it is accepted to God as an offering to Him, yet it benefits our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we can say without, without a doubt, good works absolutely have an important part to play in our spiritual walk. But the handful is required because the handful is the acknowledgement that the offering is to God first and foremost. So say, so say he took that and he just gave it to the priest. Is that acceptable to God, the, the flower? No, it is to God. It is to God. But there's a secondary benefit. Look at Titus chapter 3 real quick. Titus chapter 3. 
Now remember what the meat offering represents. Verse 8, Titus 3, verse 8. The Bible says, This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Notice what the next, the next sentence says. These things are good and profitable unto men. That's the leftover offering. It helped the priests. You know what? When you live for God and you do righteousness and you work for God and you sweat for God and you, you labor for the Lord and you serve the Lord, it's not just about you. And it's not even just about the Lord, although it is primarily for Him. That's the handful. But the Lord leaves the majority of it to benefit everybody else. Did you know that by you living for God and doing righteousness and serving God and laboring for God, that you help your brothers and sisters? You encourage them? You strengthen them? And if you don't do it, they, are, they do not receive that encouragement? There's a benefit in our, there's a benefit to everyone in you, Ben. There's a benefit to everyone in you giving yourself to God. Just like it was a benefit to the priest. Back in Leviticus chapter 2, notice you could bring, verse number 1, you could bring fine flour. Verse number 4, you could bring a uh, 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 an offering bacon in the oven. Verse 5, you could bring an offering bacon in a pan. Verse 7, you could bring an offering bacon in a frying pan. I'm thinking cornbread when I'm seeing this, man. I'm thinking my grandma's cornbread. I'm telling you, that's good stuff. And they even had, uh, you could even take the raw grain, you could cook it in the fire and, and have like, uh, have the, the raw grain that's roasted grain. You could even use that. Here's the thing I want, here's the point I want you to see from this. There are any, there's a number of ways that you could offer this labor of your hands to God. There's a number of ways. Everybody doesn't have to do it the same way. Is that not the way it is in the church? Everybody has a different strength. Everybody has a different kind of forte. Everybody has a different, uh, different gifts. And you know what? They're all acceptable to God. I mean, within a certain boundaries... They're all, you know, you might do one thing and I know Brother Ari, he likes to fix things so he serves God in that way and others are, you know, others do other things and, and it's all okay. The Lord has a way for each person to do the thing and to offer their labor and their service to the Lord to benefit everyone. This is what the offering is demonstrating. The burnt offering is not that way. It's like one way. Now the animals differ, but there's only one way to do it. There are various modes of preparation. Look at verse 11. It says this, and this is key. No meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. For ye shall burn no leaven nor any honey nor in any offerings of the Lord made by fire. It's a, it's a blanket prohibition. No leaven. Look at 1 Corinthians Chapter 5. You can leave Leviticus now. We're almost finished. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you baked it, if you fried it, however you prepared that flour, you were not allowed to put leaven in it. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. 
Bible says this, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? You, you know, if you've ever made homemade bread, you know what a lump is. It's just a ball of, ball of dough. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Not, notice this, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Mal, listen, malice deals with our relationship with one another. Wickedness deals with our relationship with God. But with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So leaven is clearly in the Bible, not just here, in other places, clearly representative of sin and wickedness, be it toward another or toward the Lord. And the Lord says, you want to you give an offering to God of your labor, of your, your works, your, your service? It must be holy. He does not accept it mingled with sin, be it toward another or toward the Lord. He does not accept it like that. Only when it's sincere, in sincerity and truth. Some, some people think that God must accept whatever we throw at Him. Like He's a beggar. He does not. He does not. The last thing I want you to see, we're close there, is Romans chapter 12. Verse 1. I just want to, this is our conclusion. I just want you to note the parallels. You all know this verse. Every one of us in here knows this verse, except for those little boys back there. Romans 12 verse 1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Look where it pops up. But notice, is there any blood in this offering? It's a living sacrifice, just like the meat offering. It's, not, it's a bloodless offering. So God says, I want your service. It's your body. It's what you do, how you live, how you labor, how you serve. This is what the Lord is saying. This is the equivalent, New Testament equivalent of the meat offering. The meat offering is you. It's me giving ourselves, our lives, our bodies, our service to God. But notice, it's holy. It must be holy. It must be acceptable. It must be done in His way. Because it's our reasonable service. So the meat offering does not represent Christ. It comes after the burnt offering. Without the burnt offering, the meat offering is useless, just like with Cain and Abel. But if the burnt offering has been offered... In God's order and way, the meat offering is perfectly acceptable to God. Not, of course, for salvation. It can't take the place of the blood offering by any means. But it certainly does have a benefit to those around us like it had the benefit to the priest, does it not? Let's pray together.